Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 16th, and we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 100, beginning with the last paragraph. Our readers today are, in the order they will be reading, Carol P., Judy B., Michelle, Sharon, and Fran. The share code for the meeting yesterday, Tuesday, January 15th, is 3675. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through a shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. OA's sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps, please. Press star on one, star, um, star one to unmute, please. This is Margaret, I can read them for her. Thank you, Margaret, go ahead, please. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly, asked, excuse me, seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
And would you continue, please, by reading the 12 traditions, Margaret? Yes. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we we will resume our study of the Big Book Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 100, the last paragraph on that page, which begins, Assuming We Are Spiritually Fit. Carol P., would you begin reading today? Yes, good morning. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. 
Who would like to comment on what was just read? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Wow, this is a big paragraph here, and I think this is one of the paragraphs that we often use against ourselves in a way. You know, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things that alcoholics are not supposed to do. And then we read those following paragraphs and we justify why we should be able to go wherever we want to go. Because unfortunately, I think often we think spiritually fit means we just said prayers in the morning. Or we just ask God for help. Spiritually fit means have we had that spiritual experience? Have we had that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery? And I think what we often do is, well, I've been abstinent for two weeks. I've been calling my sponsor for two weeks. I can go out to these parties. I have a wedding to go to. I have to do it. As long as I say a prayer in the morning, I should be fine. And the fact is, when we are newly abstinent, when we are in the process, when we are not at step 11, when we are not having that spiritual, have not had that spiritual experience yet, we have no good reason to be going to a wedding. We have no good reason to be going to family parties where we love to binge. We have no good reason to be saying, well, I'm just going to keep my binge foods in my houses and I'll just ignore it. It's a very big qualifier, assuming we are spiritually fit. And I ask you, if you are in these situations and you are white-knuckling it and you are angry and all you think about is at, a, at a family gathering is trying to resist the food and you're not paying attention to your family, you are not spiritually fit and you should not be there. It always amazes me when someone talks about how much they're struggling in a meeting and they come in with a Dunkin' Donuts um, coffee cup. If you are not spiritually fit, if you have not had the obsession removed, why are you going into a, into a donut place to get a cup of coffee? Make coffee at home. Make your coffee at home and bring it to a meeting. So I think this is so essential because we often use this as a way to justify ourselves to go into situations that we are not ready for. And as it says earlier in the book, soon we are pounding our head in the bar saying, how in the world did this happen again? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on what was read? Well, this is Victoria. I would, I would like to share on what was read again. Um, this, this chapter on working with others is reminding me about what my role as a sponsor is. It's reminding me that of the gift of, of sanity that is described on page 84 and 85 in the chapter into action. Um, I'd like to just briefly read it. Um, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. This paragraph is going to describe what that sanity looks like. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor 
has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. This is the description of a miracle. The miracle that this program promises. This is the miracle I could not comprehend or believe when I came in. Maybe for you, but not for me. I was convinced this disease started at the level of my DNA and I would have to die and come back as somebody else before I would ever be free of this relentless compulsion and obsession of the mind. And this paragraph reminds me that spiritual fitness, it is the power of a spiritual solution that makes this miracle possible. It is not efforts to control which people who don't understand the disease and don't understand the solution, including family members, may think, oh, don't go there. Uh, you won't be able to handle it. Let me shield you. And as a sponsor, it can be tempting to do that. Even as Kim said, um, it is important that we're aware of how spiritually fit we are and how far along the steps we've worked. In this chapter, you know, there is some assumption that we have worked our way through at least the first nine steps and are experiencing the miracle described here of freedom, that we can do things other people who don't understand the disease can't imagine that we can do. It, all, it, all, it also reminds me that I am as powerless over my sponsee's disease as I am over my own. And if there is a slip, if that sponsee, after a period of sobriety, um, is struggling, it is not a matter of my needing to attempt to control her environment or his environment. It is a matter of spiritual fitness, and our work and our focus needs to be back on the steps. And what what has been what has been lost or let go of. And with that, I'll pass. Uh, would someone else like to share on this paragraph? Penny E. Penny E. Please go ahead. Good morning. Penny E., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from South Jersey. This first sentence, assuming, assuming. we are spiritually... Uh, that's, you know, we're, they're talking about that we can go places when we're spiritually fit, but this, this comes up so often with new, newly, uh, new people. You know, I want to go here, I want to go there. Assuming we are spiritually fit, well, that's, that's a great big, uh, you know... Um, what? It's a great big assuming. How am I going to know if I am spiritually fit? And Kim described it, of course. Have I had that spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery? But I just want to point out the importance of a sponsor here. You know, um, sometimes somebody else, a recovered compulsive overeater, can so much uh, see better what my motives are and where I'm going and so on and so forth. 
So I always believe in taking direction, you know. I have a sponsor even after years and years and years and years, long time of abstinence being recovered, I still go to my sponsor and say, what do you think? What do you think? You know, what do you think? Is this a safe place for me? We discuss it. Uh, And if anybody has a hard time with not going, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, we have to remember the seriousness, the life and death uh, seriousness of this disease. You know, if, if my abstinence, the work I have done so far, is in jeopardy, when in doubt, leave it out. You know, is socializing, going to that thing more important than my life today? I may never, ever be able to put down the food again if I'm in a place and end up picking it up. I, I don't have any guarantee, you know. So it comes down to what's more important, you know. What is more important to me? Is my recovery more important? Are all these other things more important? And if the other things are more important, then I probably am not spiritually fit. So thanks for letting me share, everybody. Have a God-filled day. Thank you. Who else would like to share and what was read? Sharon. Sharon, good morning. Go ahead, please. Well, good morning. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Very glad to be on the call with you this morning. The thing that, in reading this paragraph, that jumps out at me is that uh, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to, I keep to do. To do. Uh, people have said we must not go where out liquor is served, we must not have it in our homes, and so forth. So what what strikes me is that what works for one person may not work for another, so we can't have a set of rules. Here's defining a set of certain rules. People want to make rules based on what they can and cannot do. But the reality is, is that as sponsors, we can't make rules. As sponsees, we need to be careful about rules. We need to learn our, we need to get to know ourselves. And that's what the, the big, this paragraph is encouraging us to do. Get to know yourself. Know what you can and cannot do. And I know for the longest time, the thing that I could not do, I could go to weddings. That wasn't a problem. I could have food in my house. I could have sweets in my house because I have family members that ate them. And I had no problem with that. But I could not go to a movie theater. The thought of going to that movie theater with all those smells and with the the memories, for some reason, there was something in my early recovery about movie theaters that I avoided with a plague because my recovery was more important to me. I didn't judge myself as, oh, well, why can't you go to a movie theater? Go in there because that will prove then that you're spiritually fit. I didn't even want to take the chance. I was okay with where I was. I was okay with staying where I felt safe. And I did not try to test myself, to test my recovery, I accepted that in my mind's eye, that was a place that I couldn't go, even though perhaps that meant I wasn't spiritually fit completely. That was fine because I wanted this recovery more than I wanted to prove something or other. So I accepted where I was, and it really worked for me to say, here's a place I can't go, but over here, this is, this is, I'll just stick with the areas 
where I can be safe. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share before we move on to the next paragraph? paragraph. Oh, lots of people. Okay, Okay. I couldn't make out one name. name. Katie? Could you? you. Katie? Katie? Yes. All right, Katie, go ahead, please. I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater recovered today in Virginia. Um, Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. Um, You know... We should not assume anything for another person. Um, When I got abstinent, I worked in a restaurant. And um, my sponsor told me, you know, you may have to quit your job. And I was willing to quit my job. I did not have to quit my job. That the people I worked with were like my family. And my family of origin uh, I, that's where I had a problem. I had more of a problem going to uh, meet my my family for um, lunch than I did going to work every day where there was food constantly at my disposal. So that's where I limited my involvement for the first year was eating with people who would not accept the way I ate. And it also, I knew that it was a huge excuse for me in the past. And the reason why I slept was because of um, social events. And so my job was not a social event. And I could go there as God would have it. The obsession was lifted immediately, overnight. And I had, um, I could get my absolute food at work. And I was able to do that. And so... You know, our experience shows that this is not necessarily so, that we do not have to run from from the food. I mean, we live in a culture where food is constantly around. And if I'm still thinking about the food and, you know, worried about what everyone else is eating, well, there's something wrong with my spiritual life. And I have learned (laughs) to socialize, that I actually talk to people. I don't talk about what I'm going to eat and all that kind of stuff. I, I've learned how to um, engage with people. I didn't know how to do that. I went out to eat uh, as an escape from life. And, you know, we don't make um, judgments on what other people are supposed to do. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to share? Hi, this is Melanie. Melanie, go ahead, please. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Victoria. This is Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. Assuming we are spiritually fit. And um, I'm not real sure when I'm spiritually fit. And I was taught very early on in recovery to build um, a network of people that I can kind of run some things through. And over the course of time, those things that I run by these folks um, have become closer to my heart and more intimate and in my everyday thinking and planning. And I just wanted to share with you a couple of case in point, cases in point. And that is um, I um, long to take a cake decorating, cake baking course forever and ever and ever. And my son got married in June. And I might have grandchildren someday is the train of thought if you follow me here. 
And I was all ready to do that, except that I have this training. And I shared that with a couple of people, certainly my sponsor, and with a couple of the folks in my network. And they were lovingly, quickly to come to my aid and say, I don't, and just to let you know, I didn't sign up for that, but just, you know, keep my mind in check. I don't know exactly when I'm spiritually fit. I don't know exactly when I'm going to be putting um, alcohol, uh, whiskey into my milk all the time. And so I just check these things out. Certainly on the surface, I should be able to go there. I don't have any temptation with cake at all, ever, ever, never. It's, it's out of my head. Yet, I'm going to walk into that place, be in that area, and it's going to continually enlarge the addict in my brain, and I won't even know it. And I'm very grateful for that. And the other thing I would just add to this, and it may be out of out of place here, I don't go to places where other things could be dangerous for me. I had a good lesson in that um, when um, there was a legitimate reason for me to be someplace to support my husband, yet the reason for me going there was to check out and be around an ex-boyfriend that I had. Not a good idea. Check that one out, too. I wasn't spiritually fit. I had other reasons for going there dressed to the nines. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Melanie. Would someone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Leah. Leah, good morning. Go ahead, please. Hey, Victoria. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. So the text is giving me a prerequisite here. <laughs> it's saying, assuming I am spiritually fit, assuming uh, that my channel to God is not blocked off by any spiritual sludge, so to speak, assuming I am living in relationship with God, assuming that I am free from dishonesty, from self-centeredness, from resentment, from fear, that this channel, this oxygen uh, tube, so to speak, is well-connected. Uh, how do I get to that spot? Well, of course, we're in Chapter 7, working with others, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. The whole journey, our whole journey through the steps takes us to step 12, and the whole point of joining OA and moving all the way through the steps is contained in those two words in that 12th step, spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening. A personality change. A personality is made up of the way we think, made up of the way I feel, made up of the way my attitude and my outlook upon life, my, my lens to the world. It's a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Once I've reached that point, am I maintaining that? Is that channel open? Now, of course, you know, I have to accept my vulnerability and our limitations, particularly at the beginning of this whole journey when we are most vulnerable and in the infancy stages of the recovery process because the closer you get to the fire, the more you get burned. So, um, you know, obviously we have to have constant vigilance in the early process of recovery and not put ourselves in positions of um you know of vulnerability not be in places we shouldn't be however again we're in chapter seven working with others speaking to the sponsors assuming we are spiritually fit assuming you know the the whole point of the 
the program, the whole point of AA's 12 steps, which are a group of principles and they're spiritual in their nature, is that I'm going to be given a way of life. And if practiced, this way of life has expelled the obsession to compulsively overeat and has enabled me to become happily and usefully whole. So assuming I have reached that point, I can do all sorts of things I'm not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served, we must not have it in our homes, etc. It says our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. Again, this is a maintenance of a condition, assuming I am spiritually fit, assuming I am well-connected to God, assuming that my relationship with God is secure and it's solid and upon that foundation i have uh you know i have he is my refuge he's my ease and comfort i don't i'm i'm not tempted back into these um in in into uh these situations for the ease and comfort out of a bag or a box because god is my comfort my refuge and my protection and with that i pass thank you Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, go ahead, Paula. This is Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. And with that, I can go anywhere. Because if I am recovered, I am spiritually fit. And if I'm spiritually fit and I'm asking God and I'm going with God and I remember that and I stay with that, then, yeah, I can go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. And as I was looking at this and I was listening again and again, and I kept thinking, you know, friends must hide their bottles if we go into their houses. How many times I would go into my own children's houses, my grandchildren then, and they would hide their stuff. And that's what started me on this trip, the little girl that hid on, on Halloween, her trick-or-treat bag. I wasn't spiritually fit. I was going to find that. Today, they don't have to hide it anymore because I am spiritually fit. I go with God, and let me tell you clearly, I stay with God, and I connect. And that flow that was said, that sludge, kind of reminds you of a plumber, you know. And they're clearing out that sludge and everything. So the flow, the flow is there, ever-present. And that's it, ever-present. Then I can go anywhere, and only then. Spiritually fit, I can go anywhere today, and I can be there for anyone. Food, food is a big part of our society. We know that. Any society, it's a big part. Today, I am not away from that part. I am part of life wherever it goes because, very clearly, we go with God. We go with God. And then it says clearly, and I just love this, we don't have to avoid life. We live life today. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, again, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Judy B., would you continue with the next paragraph, please? Certainly. Uh, this is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap, and even there an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. 
ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory he would escape the alcohol problem. So this paragraph is really talking about um, two different states of mind. You know, either we um, we have been restored to a sta- sane uh, mindset or we have an alcoholic mind. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's very important if we do have an alcoholic mind, if we do have a mind that is not thinking straight, it's good to realize it and to know it because that's the beginning of finding the solution. You know, An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. And and that's where I began. And and I'm so grateful that I, that I knew that, that I I couldn't be around all of this stuff in the beginning. It just, I, I was so pulled into it that I, I had no, I had no resistance. Um, and what a difference it makes after we work through the steps and we go through our spiritual awakening and, and our mind is, mind is transformed. That's just such a beautiful thing. So, you know, if you're listening today and, and you realize you still have that, that alcoholic mind, that mind that can't resist being in all these places, it's not a bad thing. It just means there's work to do. But gratefully, this program offers a solution. We just have to pick up that spiritual kit, and, um, and everything can change. You know, we can find a new power which will, will give us the, the strength to say no when, um, when the food is not ours. Uh, I had an experience last week where um, someone left for me some homemade goodies uh, at a time when I was very sick, and um, I was just so grateful it, to know that that, know, was, that was mine. So, um, I don't know, that was just, it was, it was such a, a knowing to, to, to realize that, that I didn't have to touch it. You know, years ago I would have thought, oh, look, that was sent from God. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was a temptation that could have been there, but thank you, God, I, I withdrew as if from a hot flame, and that's, that's what I'm so grateful for, and and that's available for everyone. You know, if 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 our thinking is is not where we want it right now, all we have to do is grab onto this spiritual kit, work these steps, and and miracles will happen, and then we'll be able to be anywhere. You know, we'll we'll be protected. We we will we will know what. Um, what we need to do, and uh, just such a, a wonderful, beautiful place to finally be, and uh, and it's available. It's available for everyone who will who will work at it and who will uh, be willing to do the hard work. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Who else would like to comment on what was just read? This is Kansas Robinson. All right, Kim, and then Robin, and then Janice. 
Go ahead, please, Kim. Thank you, Victoria. An alcoholic who cannot meet these conditions still has an alcoholic mind. Huh. Interesting. You know, we, we so often think about this all has to do with abstinence. You know, and we are reminded here, again, this is a two-fold disease. It is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Yet when it's talking about meeting these conditions, it's talking about you still have an alcoholic mind, and that's the greater aspect of our disease. And I think what often happens is we confuse the freedom, the freedom of the allergy not being triggered with the freedom of the obsession being removed. You know, we've put the food down. We've been asking it maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month, maybe even two months, but we haven't worked a step yet. And we're feeling great. We're waking up a little bit easier. We're not, heads not as fuzzy. We're able to think straighter. And we think, oh, it's a miracle. The obsession's been removed. And that's not true. The only way the obsession is removed is by working the steps. So if we are working a program of abstinence only, abstinence only, all we're feeling is the allergy not being triggered. And that is a wonderful feeling. But if we stop there, the mind is going to kick in. We're going to go to these places. We're going to have these temptations. Something's not going to go our way. And that obsession of mind is going, oh, come on. It's been 30 days. It's been 60 days. That person's a jerk. You need to eat. This is a great celebration. You have to eat. So what it's saying here, an alcoholic who cannot meet these conditions still has an alcoholic mind. It's the mind. It is the, we're looking for that spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, not as the result of abstinence. And Victoria read earlier the promises when that alcoholic mind has recovered, when that obsession has been removed. So I'm going to read a little bit of the next paragraph, which is the warning. The warning. It says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do. For alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So if we are do not if we still have that alcohol in mind, we have to get we have to keep going towards that spiritual awakening, keep going towards that spiritual awakening. And when we have that spiritual awakening, we have to continue to seek through prayer and meditation. We have to continue to take personal inventory. We have to practice these principles in all our affairs and we have to carry that message because that is the state that we're going to be able to stay recovered. Because once again, it's saying an alcoholic who cannot meet these conditions still has an alcoholic mind. So this has nothing to do with the length of abstinence. It has everything to do with the state of our mind which as a result of these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Robin, go ahead, please. Thanks, Victoria. This is Robin, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, You know, once again, we're talking, this is a chapter where we're being taught how to sponsor somebody else. And it happens frequently that, that you may have a sponsor or a sponsee who has these, um, complaints or, um, 
Well, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. I want to comment on that, too, because um, we all know what it means to white-knuckle it. I'm sure everybody like me has had the experience of white-knuckling abstinence or white-knuckling while you're in a food plan. And if you're working with a sponsee who is white-knuckling it, there is something going on there, and it's the alcoholic mind. Um, I remember one of my... Somebody said to me one time, the only thing I can do, the only step that I can work with complete perfection in this program is step one. Um, I believe in an alcoholic mind is one that's not surrendered. If I'm surrendered, my alcoholic mind um, is able to connect with my higher power, is able to heal. So um, as a sponsor, if I have somebody who's going through these issues, uh, you know, it, it works for me to say, let's go back to steps one, two, and three. We admitted we were powerless over blank, whatever that might be in the moment. Um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to the sanity that we're talking about, the sanity that um, takes the alcoholic brain and um, heals it and made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. So I um, I see that that's what happens in a paragraph like this, where Bill is explaining to me how to help my sponsee who may have um, indications of white-knuckling his or her abstinence. If they can't go into a place, um, if they need to be kept out of a place, if, um, if a... Uh, you know, if only a geographic fix, you know, sounds like it would keep them from picking up the food, then there's something that hasn't been done. And it's usually in steps one, two, and three. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Janice, go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. We meet these conditions every day. We meet these conditions every day. And what does it mean? How do we meet these conditions every day? Well, indeed, it is just as Robin said, and as Kim so beautifully put it, you know, we are assuming here that we're not just abstinent. Abstinent has to happen for me. It has to be the bottom line. I have to be free of the allergy of the body but I also have to be spiritually fit. My spiritual status, it says, there has to be nothing wrong with my spiritual status. You know, because once again, it's all going to be about choices. You know, the choices that I'm going to make today are contingent upon my spiritual fitness. The choices that I make. So how am I going to meet these conditions? You know, I've tried that geographic cure. You know, it says this poor wife would send her husband to the Greenland ice cap. And even then, an Eskimo might show up with a pan of brownies. You know, I mean, here we are. Here we are. No matter where we go, we take ourselves. And what's going to be our protection? What can I teach a sponsee about what has been my protection? Well, I practice those Ps. Pray, plan, protect, prepare. That's how I meet those conditions. Pray, you know, be connected today. Be here now today with my higher power. You know, that's, then I can meet all conditions because it's true. We live in a world, we live in a culture where we cannot escape 
that we cannot escape, we cannot hide from, and we cannot escape. But we can be, we can plan. I can go to that business potluck and bring my own food. I can shop, grocery shop for my family without lingering in the bakery aisle. You know, I can, I can make that plan and I can protect my abstinence and protect my recovery. And I can prepare myself by talking to my fellows, by making sure, you know, am I too deep in the grief of the death of my husband to be trusted to make a sound decision here? Help me. Help me think this through. Help me with your experience. Asking for help, just a big deal to me, just a big deal. And like Ruth was saying in her talk last Sunday, seemingly unimportant decisions, thud. Those seemingly unimportant decisions that I make, I don't make those lightly by myself anymore. You know, I make those choices based on my spiritual status. You know, we meet these conditions every day when we're in recovery, when we're staying close to our creator, close to our higher power, then all things are possible. But we have a plan and we follow that plan. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This paragraph really rests on this entirely new understanding of what my disease is about and how I'm going to find and keep freedom from it. And I don't know if this was true for you, but my core belief throughout active disease and the society supported me in that, the society around me, is that get, get it under control. Control it. That was the solution. Because the idea that an invisible, inscrutable power was going to do that for me was pretty hard to buy it was very difficult to imagine. And I found in sponsorship at those times, maybe it's two years out, three years out, that somebody is struggling. Um, it, there's a part of me that can want to revert to that old thinking, put a fence around it, um, you know, resort to control. And while there are important judgments and discernment that's needed about making decisions not to put myself somewhere where I'm not prepared to be. It's never a long-term answer. It's never going to keep me safe given the nature of this disease. Um, and the miracle of it, it, it has really required me through the big book to come to understand and believe it is only this power I cannot see but I can experience which will keep me free from the disease which nearly killed me and that requires work on my part um, it requires 
a great deal of work because in reality, I do meet those conditions every day. And if I'm not spiritually fit, anywhere I am can be a problem. But the other caveat that I, I just want to mention is I have found that for me, smells of food can be a form of ingestion. And that puts it more in allergy territory than obsession of the mind territory. Um, and I think businesses are aware of this when they spend millions of dollars pumping uh, the, the smell of certain baking foods into airports and other places because it does have a biological effect. And so I've tempered my understanding um, of, of, of controlling exposure to understand that, that some smells, and there are some um, forms of some smells, for instance, chocolate. Uh, when I'm around that, my body has a physiological reaction, and it's to the ingestion of the smell. It's not looking at it. It's smelling it. Um, so with that, I'll pass. Would someone else care to share on this paragraph? Christy? Christy, good morning. Go ahead, please. And Leah, then Leah. Hi, good morning, Victoria. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I, I too, like this line here that says, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. Um, and, you know, when I, when I uh, first put the food down, you know, I'm the type of person that, I, you know, I'd like to lose 100 pounds by Friday, if at all possible. And I'd like to, you know, have a been abstinent for a day have had the um, obsession of the mind removed, you know, by, by evening time, if at all possible. And what I knew is that recovery was a process. You know, I did know that, that it was a process. And I wished people had a crystal ball and they could tell me exactly when the obsession of the mind was going to be removed. But I trusted that it would be removed at some point in time because that's what other people shared with me, is that their obsession of the mind had been removed. And I just hung my hat on that. I just hung my hat on that, and I did what they did. And, um, you know, I did not know about my recovery. I did not know about, um, you know, my spiritual status when I first put the food down. I didn't know anything except my disease. You know, my disease and I had been constant companions for decades. So I was very well aware of those pitfalls. Um, not all of them, certainly, but kind of the big ones. And so for me, when I first put the food down, you know, I, you know, when I did go to the grocery store, because grocery stores are laid out in a certain way for a reason, you know, I didn't spend time lingering in the baking aisle. You know, I used to spend hours, and I am not kidding you, I would spend hours in the baking aisle. You know, I was a concoctor and a baker, and, you know, I wanted to get the most bang for my buck by making things. You know, I didn't spend as much time in the bakery. I spent time in the bakery, or the bake, baking aisle, you know, looking at what I could make that was huge, that was going to last, that was going to fill that hole. 
Um, you know, so when I went to the grocery store after I first got abstinent, I'd walk down the light bulb in the dog food aisle, you know, to get to the back of the store. You know, I wasn't going to tempt fate. I just wasn't going to tempt fate. You know, for me personally, I didn't eat out in restaurants. Restaurants were playgrounds for me. Restaurants were forms of entertainment. They were not opportunities to get together with people. You know, I lived in fear that people would want to order something and share it. You know, that was like the worst thing you could ever do is to, you know, let's order things and share them. Oh, that was the worst thing ever. And so I avoided going out in restaurants for the first six months. Does that mean that's what everybody has to do? Of course not. Of course not. That's just me and what I did. You know, and when my sponsees are going to enjoy a lovely evening out with friends, I don't say you can't eat in a restaurant for the first six months. We talk about it. You know, let's, let's figure out a way to protect your abstinence at all costs because that's what I do. That is what I do. And so, you know, when you fast forward – for me, you know, just over 11 years of back-to-back -back abstinence without exception, without finding it necessary to pick up that food, and with, uh, you know, having had the obsession removed from me, you know, by the grace of this program, you know, I'm so grateful for that, it, you know, people will still say, oh, I'm so sorry to be eating this in front of you, you know, when I'm around my family, you know, does it bother you if I'm eating this? Absolutely not. It does not bother me that you're eating, you know, the kinds of foods that I haven't, you know, haven't passed my lips, you know, in over 11 years. You know, that would be sad for me if after this length of time, I was still white-knuckling it, as Robin said. You know, that would be horrible. Well, what would be the point of recovery if that's what was still going on with me? I, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I can, you know, you know, move cookies off the counter and do that sort of thing to prepare my own food. I'm not tempted to reach out and grab that. And that's a miracle. I wish I knew when that happened. I wish I had that date. I have my date of abstinence, but I don't know exactly what date that obsession was removed. But, you know, I, I mean, I just, I, I knew what that was like to put the food down, to um, white knuckle it, you know, to obsess about it constantly, to be thinking about the food nonstop. And that is not what my life looks like today. You know, that is not what my life looks like today. You know, that tells me that I have got, you know, I've had the, the spiritual awakening, the spiritual, the complete transformation of my mind has happened. That has happened. Happened with my body, continues to happen with my mind on a daily basis. And why is that? Because this is what I do. This is the work I do every day. I've got my face in the big book, not in a face, not, and my face is not in, you know, the cellophane bags or the bakery box. My face is in the big book every day. The food's been down for a long time. And the obsession was removed a long time ago. But I also know that I'm in trouble if I let up on this spiritual program. So, you know, I work even harder today because I've got a whole lot more to lose today. I've got way more to lose today than I did when I first came in. And for that, I am grateful. I'm grateful that I have a lot to lose today. I have a full, rich life today. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Go ahead, please, Leah. Thank you so much. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. I mean, obviously, in the uh, 
infancy of recovery and the um In the early days um, where we are most vulnerable, early months, um, you know, I think it's not only prudent to keep out of slippery situations, uh, but it's also a sign of humility and it's a sign of spiritual maturity that, you know, one is accepting of one's vulnerability and limitations. However, what the big book is teaching is a greater lesson here. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. Again, that the greater aspect of my disease resides in my mind. That I have a spiritual malady, the text teaches me. And I can't solve a spiritual problem, a spiritual illness, with a physical solution. You know, staying out of places and and keeping away from, you know, my food is physical, is physical. What the big book is offering me is not a temporary respite. What the big book is teaching me through its solution is salvation. It's salvation, but I have to understand my problem. You know, el- elimination of my binge foods is not enough. You know, the monkey may be off my back, but the circus is still in town. And that circus resides between these ears. So an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. What's that alcoholic mind? That alcoholic mind is the mental obsession that keeps giving us permission to pick up that first bite. So the real problem isn't the food. The real problem is not the food. The real problem is in our mind in our mind that convinces us that we can eat that stuff or indulge in those items. That's our real problem. And if we don't believe we have that mental obsession, there's no reason for the steps. So again, it's reminding me, an alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. You know, we can go to all different locations around the globe and you can run, but you cannot hide from this disease. But the program of recovery says, what if, what if you could find a way to live where your mind doesn't lock on to that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by eating that food? And that process is called recovery. And that's what this whole thing is about. And that's what implementing the steps is all about. It's about having had a spiritual awakening transforming one's mind. That's the whole point, being restored to sanity, having soundness of mind, being relieved of the obsession to compulsively overeat, and walking this earth as a free person. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Michelle, would you please read a vision for you? Good morning, this is Michelle. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.